in my mind, I, I had a, a, a thought. I was like, man, it would be really great to see students and, and adults um, serving together in the sanctuary. And it was really neat that two of my students came up, and then I had a couple of, of our deacons come up and serve alongside. And I'm like, oh, that's exactly what I was thinking in my brain. I wish that would have happened. And then it did, and that was so cool. And then, like, in the 8 o'clock service, Robert Turney going and uh, following through with Believer's Baptism by immersion, and then joining our church, and then, and then our sister, Lugene, uh, becoming a member again here. And so, man, what a good Sunday. All right, so this morning we looked at the why of white space, uh, and, and we were kind of wrapped up in Psalm 27. And so you can go on and flip there. I told you that we'd be finishing in that. Um, we looked at the Jewish understanding of Psalm 27 and what they thought, what they believed, why they believed it. And, um, and then from there, we looked at a little bit of this graphic design element known as white space and how that applies to our lives. And the big idea this morning, just to remind you if you weren't here, um, the big idea this morning was that the white space in our schedules allows us to engage Jesus who rescues us and sets us free. So when we have that breathing room, when we're not spreading our, our writing or our lives to the margins of our lives, then instead we're allowing Jesus the room to operate within our lives because we all need rescue from something and we all need to be freed and we all need uh, growth in Jesus. And we don't get that if we're burning the candles at both ends and we don't get rescue uh, when we are living in our own ways, but only when we're within the bounds of Jesus. So uh, tonight, I want to give you some examples of what white space would look like and the benefits of it before we actually kind of dive into Psalm 27 to kind of, I just want to give you a visual understanding really of what white space would look like. So first thing I want to show you, if you have your bulletin, if you have your worship guide, I want you to go out and look at it. Uh, we, there, there was a redesign. Uh, I've hated the way our worship guide has looked for years, and it's like we're continually trying to get better and continually trying to make it look uh, better. And so finally, there was, just, there was just one day, there was one week Debbie was out, and so I decided to play with it. And I'm like, you know, I know that I'm going to be preaching on white space, Psalm 27, pretty soon. And so I said, so month, last month I thought, I'm going to go on and tinker with this and kind of see what it looks like. And so that's why it looks the way it does, and you can easily flip it to the back, and then there's the order of worship, and you can flip inside, and everything looks neat and clean, and there's white spaces. I've had two complaints on the design, which it's not a Baptist church if you don't, and, and um, they said, there's no place to take notes. And I said, you don't take notes anyway? And no, I'm just kidding. I said, uh, you don't want to take notes on your worship guide. You want to take notes in a notebook so that you always have it with you. Because I can't tell you how many times, like, my worship guides, they get misfiled and shoved around. And even from when I was a teenager, and I have some bulletins still remaining from when I was a teenager, um, I've, I've mis... Misheveled, uh, uh, what is it called? Mis, mis, uh, misplaced them. My brain's not working today. Uh, I've misplaced them to where uh, I, I don't have them all, and they're not in order. So if you're taking notes, which I hope that you do, not for the person that is preaching on stage uh, to feel better about themselves, but specifically so that you can not only hear the Word of God uh, and not only just read the Word of God or see, see the preaching, but that way you can also 
uh, it gives you another, if you've been a teacher, you know what I'm talking about here, it gives you another uh, method of learning. And so it's another way of helping you out. But you don't want to do that on a, on a worship guide. You want to do that, you want to do that uh, in a notebook. And so I've had a couple people. But there's so much breathing room, and there's so much white space on it. And I'm sure once uh, Pastor Brett gets in here in a few weeks, that, we'll, uh, that we'll, we'll, we'll tweak some things in the future as well. But that's one idea of, of, of white space and the benefits of it. And, and in fact, what I wrote down here is that it allows you to understand your context. Because if you've seen our worship guides in the past, you, you, you can't understand context. Like things would run from one margin to the next and they would be really, really small and it would be really crammed together. And, and, and now things are purposeful. In newspapers, you can get lost in a newspaper. Pardon me. I have a sore throat, so I was trying to nurse it with some gum, which you shouldn't chew gum in the sanctuary, but my throat really hurts. I apologize. Um, but uh, when you see a newspaper, you see, um, you see that it goes from edge to edge. It's justified, and it's, it, it, just, it confuses you, and sometimes it just builds my anxiety reading newspapers. Uh, you've seen other things where, where, where it doesn't go to the, to the margins and it goes within the limit and everything looks beautiful. And you can So that's one example there. I want to show you a picture um, of the iWatch. This was Apple. Apple used a great, brilliant use of white space. And I was talking to an artist. Uh, I don't think she's here tonight. I was talking to an artist in our church earlier this morning afterwards. And she's called, she says it's called resting space. I'm like, oh, cool, I didn't know that. And uh, she says, yeah, it, it allows your eyes to, to rest from the rest of the work that you're looking at. And so Apple, uh, good advertisers do this. If you go to apple.com, their website is immaculate. It's beautiful. It's stunning. Uh, here you see the iWatch, and it brings attention to your message, doesn't it? Because it draws you to exactly what you want. Oh, I'm sorry, not the iWatch, the iPhone. It brings you exactly to what you want to see. They want you to see the iPhone. That's it. And they want it to look pretty. And so instead of it being white space, it's still called white space, although it's another color. You can see, you can Google images and you can find different examples. But they want to draw your eye to what the most important message is for you. Number three, white space makes the next step clear. Uh, how many of y'all have a Yahoo or Yahoo email account? I'm sorry that y'all got hacked. I'm just kidding, just kidding. Um, anyway, so if you have Yahoo account, then, then you go to yahoo.com. How do you say it? Is it Yahoo? Yahoo. All right. So you go to yahoo.com. And, uh, and like if you ever go to that page, like it, it sends my brain into orbit because it's so cluttered with everything. But if you go to this, this next website, google.com, what do you need to do? You go to that little search box. You type in what you want to type in. Boom, you're done. Google decided to take a minimalist approach and, 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 and shorten what you do, shorten what they do. And they're like, hey, we want to drive you to the point of why you're here. Because if you go to Yahoo, yahoo.com, you don't know if you're there to read some articles that's going to like bring you to a Yahoo article or Yahoo article, and then it's going to redirect you to another article, and then you have to like get some sort of subscription or turn off your ad blockers, or if you want to search your email or search your stocks or search this or search that, like you don't know what you're going to do there. Google, you know exactly what you're doing. And now it's even a term. I'm going to Google something. I'm not going to Yahoo something. I'm going to Google something. Uh, number four, white space efficiently clarifies your point. 
it clarifies your point. This is the point of what we're doing. It's not just that I'm driving you to the point. It's not that I'm just helping you to understand your context. It's not just that I'm bringing attention to my message. It's going to clarify your point. Look at Dropbox.com here. The point of it here is that you need to download Dropbox. How do I do that? Well, you do that with their simple little button, Download Dropbox. And, well, what does it do? Well, it's a place to store your files. It's a box. It's a cloud to store your files. And it brings clarity to what they wanted to do. And so they're probably, next to iCloud, and probably even arguably more so, they're the premier uh, cloud-based free system that's out there before you have to start paying for stuff. So going back to, and now that we kind of get some visual understandings of what white space looks like and the importance of it, your life is your message. Like that white paper that I showed you this morning, your life is your message. That is your content, and you need understanding and clarity, and you need to bring attention to it. It was great. I had a student uh, when Jeffrey was teaching. Where's Jeffrey? I had a, I had a, uh, I had a student in our study tonight that had brought up a really good point. Uh, The question that Jeffrey asked us in our book study that we're doing is if our life was a story, like a movie, and God was the director, what would be in your movie? And so another student had said, well, you know, I would make my life my story about Jesus. I'm like, how cool is that? I mean, that's what our lives are supposed to be about. But to bring that clarity in, in our attention to what that story, what that life looks like. Because the point of life, when all the clutter of your life is away, is that is 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 Jesus? When you boil boil away, like and you, and you take away your your job, and you take away your hobbies, and you take away your gifts, and you take away this, and you take away that, and everything at the end of the day should boil down to Jesus. When you boil down your pocketbook, it should boil down to Jesus. When you clarify and and declutter your calendar, it should be Jesus. When you declutter your car, it should just be clean. And people are like, hey, godliness is next to, next to, next to, help me out here. There you go. See, y'all knew that one. Y'all worked right into that one. So if this morning was why, then tonight is how. Tonight I want to give you the application. So Psalm 27 is where we're going to be. We're going to wrap all of this together. We're going to wrap the benefits of white space together. We're going to wrap the how together, the application together. And we're going to move this into your ideology, like what you think, and into your practice, like how you do it, what you do with it. Some of you are probably already doing this. Some of you probably aren't. There's probably some things that I heard this morning. Hey, man, you still stepped on my toes. I'm like, I'm sorry. Uh, so some of it might, it's not going to be as bad tonight. Just a heads up, it's not going to be as mean tonight. I don't think. Uh, But here's the key thought. If you just write down one thought, here's your key thought for tonight, okay? Is that your white space enables you to move towards God as He moves on your behalf. Like your white space, if your life is a page, the white space that you create and the margins that you stay within enables God to move on your behalf and it also enables you to move closer to God. Again, because if, you, or if you're going from end to end, you're not going to be able to get close to God. Man, it's great. I'm providing for my family. I don't care. If you're working 70 hours a week, you're cheating your family. No, man, I'm providing them like an excellent house and all the stuff they could ever want. No, they want dad. They want mom. 
And so this is what our white space does for us. And so we're going to look back here at David, this, this, this shepherd boy turned king, uh, as he explores a twofold application, and it's here in Psalm 27. And as, as we uh, kind of get started, I want to show us back to verse 4 for a second. Going back to verse 4, and that's what we landed on this morning. That's where we ended. He says, I have asked one thing from the Lord. It is what I desire, to dwell in the house of the Lord all the days of my life, gazing on the beauty of the Lord and seeking Him in His temple. He's like, this one thing is what I want, and this one thing leads to white space, or focusing on the Lord. It's like, this is the one thing I want. I want to focus on the Lord. I want to focus on Him. But it allows two things. This white space helps in how your life, or how your message is defined or designed, in both how you move towards God and how He is moving on your behalf. So, before we get started any further, I want us to look at the structure of Psalm 27. Because looking and understanding the structure or the design of Psalm 27 in the space that it was created in will help us understand a little bit more of the application in a little bit. Uh, there's two halves to Psalm 27. You see verses 1 through 6 is the first half. It begins with the statement, the Lord is my light and my salvation, but it's the Lord, and then it ends with, what, two words? The Lord. And so it's, it, the, the, way, the way David penned this, he's like, this is a certain specific half. So we need to understand and treat verses 1 through 6 in one particular way. And then you see verses 7 through 14, in the same, in the same respect, it starts with Lord, and it ends with Lord. Two specific halves with similar purposes, but David had intentions with this, uh, with, both, with both parts. And it's, kinda, it's, it's, it's beautiful because it's kind of like the way our lives should be. Our lives should begin and end with the Lord. Your day should begin and end with the Lord. Like every, every act of your being and every ounce of your being should begin and end with the Lord. So, we're gonna, we're gonna, let me read these verses. I'm not going to put these on the screen just yet because the way that we're going to study this is somewhat out of order. So we're going to read verses 5 through 14 for a moment and then we're going to dive in to two different parts. Verses 5 through 14. For he will conceal me in his shelter in the day of adversity. He will hide me under the cover of his tent. He will set me high on a rock. Then my head will be high above my enemies around me. I will offer sacrifices in his tent with shouts of joy. I will sing and make music to the Lord. Now, I do need to encourage you here. Some of you are probably trying to scratch that last verse out. Because you're like, I don't want to sing or make music to the Lord. But the Lord is calling you to make music to the Lord. So don't scratch that out. The Lord wants it there. Verse 7. Lord, hear my voice when I call. Be gracious to me and answer me. In your behalf, my heart says, seek my face. Lord, I will seek your face. Do not hide your face from me. Do not turn your servant away in anger. You have been my help. Do not leave me or, or abandon me, God of my salvation. Even if my father or mother abandon me, the Lord cares for me. Verse 11. Because of, the, of my adversaries, show me your way, Lord, and lead me on a level path. Do not give me over to the will of my foes. <coughs> for false witnesses rise up against me, breathing violence. I'm certain that I will see the Lord's goodness in the land of the living. Verse 14, beautiful verse. Wait for the Lord. Be courageous and let your heart be strong. Wait for the Lord. 
So, two parts. Part one is how God is moving on your behalf. Part one is how God is moving on your behalf. We see in verse one, he says, the Lord is my light and my salvation. He's also the stronghold of my life. We then see it in verse five. And I would point out a few different words here in verse five for you. (coughs) He says, he will conceal me in his shelter. You can write this down. He will shelter you because he treasures you. If you're going through something, or maybe there's a war on the horizon, there's a storm coming up on the horizon, remember that the Lord shelters you because he treasures you. The word here for conceal, he will conceal me in his shelter. The word here for conceal is to conceal with a purpose. Like God has a specific purpose on why he wants to conceal you. He wants to protect you for a reason. (coughs) The definition reminds us that God has a special concern for you because you are of value. The next thing he says here in verse 5 is that he will hide you to protect your message, to protect his message. Like, and you're thinking, well, James, those are two different things. Well, they shouldn't be two different things because your message should be his message because your story is really a part of the larger grand story of God. You see it in verse 5 here where it says that he will hide me under the cover of his tent. He will hide me under the cover, so he'll protect us, of his tent. (coughs) This is his story. This is his message. This is his doing. Because he wants to protect your story, which ultimately should be his story. Which kind of leads me to this next thought. I don't know, how many of y'all were here, Hurricane Isaac? I know a lot of y'all were here, Hurricane Isaac. several years ago. I don't know if you remember, Brother Al was out. uh, He was in Iuka that week or something. He was was gone. He was on vacation or something. And so I was tasked with preaching that Sunday after Hurricane Isaac, that Sunday night even, after Hurricane Isaac. And I loved it. It was probably one of my favorite messages. And it's going to be one of yours, and you're going to remember why in just a moment. But I went to, Mary and I, we went to her dad's house, um, because I don't know if you know this about me, I'm not super manly in the fact like I don't know man stuff. And so he had like this big generator that he could hook up to his tractor trailer, his John Deere tractor trailer, and it, I don't know, had spun some sort of thing that powered the generator. It was crazy. I don't, I don't know how it works. But I know that we had to go up to like Popperville to a gas station that was closed, but you could go to it if you called the person up and you knew the person and you could get, get some gas. So he had connections, and so we went up there. And so while everyone else was without power, we're on the internet playing around and checking in on people and checking in on church members there from Pearl River and saying, hey, sorry, we're, we've defected to Louisiana, and we'll pray for them, but like, um, we just want to make sure you're okay. But we went to Craig's house, my father-in-law's house, to, because we were under the cover of his tent. <coughs> we were being protected at his house because there was a message to tell And that message, as I was working on it at the end of that week, and we had lots of time to work on it, I don't know if you remember that Sunday night, it was about Waffle House. Do you remember my Waffle House sermon? Some of you are like, no, I don't remember. Because a crew of you went out to Waffle House that night afterwards, and you talked to the ladies afterwards. And so I don't know what it was, but like the, the message had to deal with the rainbows that God sends our way. I think the message actually was called Waffle House and Rainbows and Annie or something like that. And we talked about Annie and we talked about 
how God set his bow in the sky, and we looked at uh, God's goodness through the Psalms. Point is, I went to his house for protection. And here it is, God's telling us in verse 5, through David, that God wants to, <clears throat> God wants to protect your message under his tent. So ultimately, your message should be his message. And so there's a purpose there. <clears throat> Number three, you see in verse 6, I want to read verse 6 again. Then my head will be high above my enemies around me. I will offer sacrifices in his tent with shouts of joy. I will sing and make music. He will rescue you to safety, noticeably above your problems. It says here that, that my head will be high above my enemies. Like oftentimes, and I've never thought this before until the Lord laid it on my heart Thursday when I was writing this, is that in the Psalms, like Psalm 40, for example, where it says that he's, like, he lifted me up out of the mire and, and set my feet up on a rock, you know? Like I've never thought about that until I read this verse here, and it's, God sets us above our problems at times. He rescues us above our problems, not just to say, man, I'm glad that's over, but so that you're above your enemies and so people are looking to you for that story. Like God wants people to look at you, like how he delivered you out of whatever that storm or problem or calamity that you were in. God wants to use that so that other people look at that and, and say, not way to go James, or way to go Ernie, or way to go Adam, like way to go whatever, but God wants to look at you and use you for other people to say, wow, man, look at what God did. And so David says, my head will be high above my enemies. He will rescue you to safety, noticeably above your problems. You ever... Let's, look, let's skip down to verse 10 for a moment. We'll come back to verse 6, I promise. Verse 10, and we'll finish up with part 1. Even if my father and mother abandon me, the Lord cares for me. The beautiful thing about this verse here, especially that, I mean, you can memorize this one, is that the all-powerful God of the universe, the God of the universe who created time, he created existence, he created the planets, he threw the stars out, he knows the names, he knows... He's numbered all of your hairs. He knows where they are or where they aren't. Sorry, Walter. Like God knows everything about you. The all-powerful God of the universe cares for you. And that's a beautiful thought to think. And I don't know if any of you have esteem issues or if any of you like struggle with acceptance or any of you struggle with worth. I don't feel like I'm worth anything. I don't have a lot of friends. I don't have a lot of money. I don't have a lot of talent. I don't have a lot of this. No one asks me to help out with this or no one ever sees me. Some people still don't know my correct name. But the all-powerful God of the universe cares for you. He cares for you. Well, James, you don't know what I've been going through. No, I, I, don't, I have no clue what you've been going through. I don't really know entirely everything that David was going through except for what he wrote and what God wrote through Scripture and revealed to us. But I know that David is going through a ton of stuff. And he said, you know, at the end of the day, even if my mom and my own dad forget who I am, I know that the God of the universe loves me. And that's something important worth knowing. Kind of inspires us. The question I want to ask you before we move on to part two is this. Is there anything that you can't do or anything that you can't conquer or anything that you can't rise above knowing this? Like if you know that the God of the universe loves you, is there anything that you can't do? 
It's a question that I asked y'all a couple months back when I preached in some other sermon. I did this with the students all the month of May. Is what would you do if you knew you would not fail? And here is the God of the universe is looking at you, and they're like, he's like, I got a plan and a purpose for you. I've got a message. I don't want you to write your story to the to the ends of the margins and to the ends of the paper that's just ugly. Make it look pretty and like use my story. And here it is. God wants to use your life to point back to him. And knowing that there's nothing that you would ever be able to do that you'd fail at. So this is part one. Again, part one is how God is moving on your behalf. Part two is how you move towards God. Go back to verse six. This is how you move towards God. I will offer sacrifices in his tent with shouts of joy. I will sing and make music to the Lord. You give gladly because he gave. If you want to move closer to God, then you need to give gladly because he gave. When I see that, when I see that verse, he says, I will sing and make music to the Lord. When I think of all that, I think we need to get happy, we need to stay happy, and we need to give. We need to give, some of us, we need to give our time. Some of us, we need to give our money. Some of us, we need to give our smile to the Lord. But like, we need to, if we're like, hey, I really truly want to get closer to the Lord, then like, we even need to give up our grumpiness so you can give gladly to God. Because if you're a grumpy person, you're not giving gladly to the Lord. And so when I see there in verse 6, I will offer sacrifices in his tent. How? Begrudgingly. Because my, like, my bank account's terrible. My friendships are terrible. I don't like my small group. I don't like what's going on right now. So I'm not going to do that. No, that's not what it says. David says, I will give gladly with joy. Now, I wish I could say it wasn't in there, but it was. And because it's in Scripture, and because that's what God is saying, I believe that he really meant that. And then he says, I will sing and make music to the Lord. There's a beauty in creating new things. And whether it's singing an age-old song or creating a new voice, man, it's a beautiful thing. And you know that if you're a writer in here, if you like to write, if you like to, to draw, if you like to paint, if you like to do creative things, if your mind is of the creative sort, you know what I'm talking about. But for some of us in here, like we're not of the creative sort, James. We don't get it. We don't know it. But all I know is that David says that because God has lifted our head high above our enemies then I will sing and make music to the Lord. And you can't sing and make music to the Lord standing up there with a sour face. You can't do that posting negative things on the internet all day long in gloom and doom, and the world is coming to an end. And man, I hope Jesus comes back soon, although this presidential election is getting me so close to saying that. I'm just kidding, not really. Let's look at verses 7 through 8. Lord, hear my voice when I call. Be gracious to me and answer me. In your behalf, my heart says, seek my face. Lord, I will seek your face. So if this is how you move towards God, you know, number one, you give gladly because he gave. I mean, he gave it all. He gave his son, Jesus. And, and this is preaching in the choir, so I don't have to like tell you about that. But number two, you discover the heart of God by talking with him. He says in verses 7 and in 8, he's like, hear my voice when I call. God, I'm calling out to you. And he's like, you want me to seek your face? God, I will seek your face. So we seek, we discover, we search 
This next note I wrote down, you're not going to like. You can send me an angry email later. But I want you to try it. And then tell me how it goes. The content and direction of your prayers often reveal the depth of your heart. The content and the direction of your prayers often reveal the content of your heart. What are you praying for? What are you, what are you praying for? Oh, yeah, I haven't prayed recently. Oh, well, if you're not praying recently, then you're probably not doing verse 6 and singing and making music to the Lord. Consequently, your car's probably cluttered, and consequently, you're probably not really seeking after God, and you're writing your life to the margins of your paper, and your paper looks ugly. I'm just saying that because I did artwork in college. The content and direction of your prayers often reveal the depth of your heart. Verses 9 and 12. Let's look at verse 9 and 12. Do not hide your face from me. Do not turn your servant away in anger. You have been my help. Don't leave me or abandon me, God of my salvation. Skip down to verse 12. Do not give me over to the will of my foes, for false witnesses rise up against me, breathing violence. I love this because those two verses, and then some of the other verses in the middle there, but these two specifically, I started thinking logically here instead of biblically for a moment. I started thinking logically. And he was imploring of God. He was, he was talking to God. He was, God, I've got these issues. I've got these problems. I need help. God, I've got these issues. I've got these problems. I need help. God, I've got these issues. I've got these problems. I need help. And it got me to thinking, why would David... Ask God to work on his behalf if he didn't believe that God would work on his behalf. And so then I thought, because David thought that God would work on his behalf. See, like when we are trusting in God, our prayer lives begin to show it. When we're trusting in God, our reliance on him begins to show in everything that we do. Because then we start going to God for everything. God, I'm going to come to you this for everything. I'm going to come to you for this for this. God, I'm going to seek your will in this and seek your face in this. So I've got someone that emailed me recently who told me that they, they go through Scripture. Like every time that they have a problem, they go straight to Scripture. And they pour over Scripture for hours. I mean, that's a beautiful thing. Because it shows me like when there's a problem or something that comes up that this person is going to God, going to the Father, going to the God of the universe. By the way, who cares for you? And they are trusting that God is going to work these issues out that this person has experienced. I'm like, that is so beautiful. Because why would you go to someone that you don't trust? Clearly, David trusts God. And I guess the question I've got for you, if you want to move towards God, and if you want to help declutter the, white, the, you know, the, the, the areas of your life and create more white space in your life, will you go to God more? We should, but will we? Verse 11. We've got this verse and one more verse and we're done. He says, Because of my adversaries, show me your way, Lord, and lead me on a level path. It reminds us that your white space enables you the room to move towards God as he moves on your behalf. Like it's, if you could encapsulate both the wars and the problems that we have in moving towards God, it's some, summarized here in this verse, because of my adversaries, because of my problems, because of my issues, because of the things that are coming on the horizon or the attackers that are at my doorstep or the people that are preparing and planning for war against me. God, show me your way. I want to get close to you. And the only way to do that is to stop and pause and create some breathing room in my life. 
It's like he's saying, in light of my problems, God, I look to you. Or like I challenged you this morning at the end of the message, and say, God, I want you. God, I want you. God, I need you now. I need you because you're moving on my behalf. Show me your way, Lord, and lead me on a level path. There's no way that you'd know what a level path looked like unless you knew that the Lord was going to put you there because you knew that God knows what a level path is and that he's going to provide it for you. Say, God, I know you're moving on my behalf. I want to move on on behalf towards you now. One final thought, that this psalm has a beautiful design. The question is, though, really, where does verse 14 fit? Because as I was doing some research, most, most, uh, most folks would say that verses 1 through 6 is, is one half, and verses 7 through 13 is the other half. So the question is, like, where does 14 fit? It's not David moving. Look at it. It's not David moving towards God, necessarily. And nor is it God moving on David's behalf, necessarily. Right? Like, look at it. Do we have it on the screen? Excellent. Wait for the Lord. Be strong and courageous. Wait for the Lord. If you look at the way verses 1 through 6 are written, and if you look at the way verses 7 through 13 are written, they're written way differently than this particular verse here. I mean, because like you get a lot of first-person stuff that David writes. Right? Verse 1, the Lord is my light, my salvation. I, I have asked, verse 4, one thing from the Lord. Verse 6, I will offer sacrifice, I will sing and make music, I will do this, I will do this, I will do this. And then you get a lot of third-person writings where David says, do not do this, Father, do not do this thing, Lord, do not you know, help me out here, God. Like he, There's a lot of third-person stuff here, but this is second-person. Which is way different from everything else that he wrote here in this psalm. So who is it written to, or, or who is it written for? As you manage your margins, you can write this down, as you manage your margins and choose to create white space, your valuable white space, you will in turn encourage others to do the same. David was pausing in a very important time where he should or could have been burning the candles at both ends continually. But he took a moment on purpose to pause so that he could create some more breathing room, to create some more margin, to create some more white space in his life. And as he was doing that, now he writes it in second person as if he wants us to now be encouraged by what he's done. Knowing that there would be people that would be reading this song. Knowing that other folks across the universe, across the universe, across the planet, across all time would be reading this, hearing this, seeing this, chanting this reciting this, some folks twice a day for a whole month. I mean, David could have never foreseen that, but he wanted to make his story about God's story. And yet God, through the power of the Holy Spirit, as the scripture was being written, God knew from eternity past, he's like, I want this to be an encouragement for my people. And so David, as you are moving towards me, God, and, and I as God, I'm moving towards you, Like I want that to encourage everyone else to want to do the same thing too. So wait for the Lord. Be courageous. You be courageous. And you let your heart be strong. You wait for the Lord. May we live our lives in such a way that encourages others to do the same. Let's pray.